a series on being a blessing, and uh, as we get ready to go back to a new school year, as fall is upon us, uh, we need to be reminded of what a blessing and how many blessings God has given us. It's amazing this summer um, how many ways we have been blessed as a body and how many opportunities we've had to go and be a blessing. So here's just a quick recap for you this morning. We've been a lot of places, been doing a lot of good work. You're going to have a chance to hear much more about that tonight. It's part of our prayer service tonight because these are all things that we have prayed for through the summer. We're going to have a time of being able to hear um, from each of those who have, uh, each of those trips that we have been on, the mission trips, the different things that we've done. But this morning, I want to take a little bit of extra time. Uh, Adam Miller, our missions pastor, recently led a group uh, on the Amazon River, and they saw some phenomenal uh, movements of God, the hand of God clearly preparing the way for them and working through them. So I wanted you to hear about some of that this morning. Adam. Amen. Well, God has been good this summer, has he not? It's hard to believe that summer's over and that we're going into this fall season. But before we go where we're going in the future, I want to just pause and just let you know how the church, Geyer Springs, has been mobilized and how God has been using this church, not just in the state, not just in this nation, but to the ends of the earth. And this morning, I'm going to share a story from our Amazon outreach group that went uh, two weeks ago down the Amazon River. Uh, and if you don't know, we partner with Amazon Outreach. Uh, Amazon Outreach is an organization that does one thing very simply, but does it really well. It partners the American church and then also churches around the globe with the Brazilian church to train and to equip missionaries and church planners to go into indigenous areas and then the 30,000 villages that are along the Amazon River. And so it's a big task, but they do it so well. And so from my position and, and what I get to oversee, uh, a couple of things that we're looking for when we look at different partnerships, we look for people who are doing it the right way. And what's the right way? It's not just a flash in the pan. It's not just getting into a certain area and then uh, sharing the gospel, then getting out. It's holistically thinking about how can we 
impact a region with the gospel, but then also train up in disciples so that we can see more disciples leading into church planning. And so Amazon Outreach does it so well. And so we, we partnered with them, and we will continue to partner with them. But on this specific trip, they led us to a person that they had trained and equipped named Andre. Now, Andre is a church planner, uh, and he did not come to Christ in the, uh, in the way that we probably would here in the States. In fact, uh, his story is very, very interesting, so I asked him to share it with me so that we could bring it back and share it with you. And he says, 11 years ago, God saved him. Before then, he didn't like Christianity because he thought that, he, he thought that Christianity was an outsider's religion, and his tribe worshiped many, many gods gods of wood, stone, and animals. And one of Andre's roles growing up was to be a civil rights worker for the indigenous. And so he would go out and he would learn about different um, oppositions to his culture, and he would figure out a way to keep those oppositions away and then also fight with the Brazilian government to preserve his culture. And so it was a common belief that Christianity was a direct threat to his culture. And so during his lifetime, he, he fought it. However, during this time, his own personal life was beginning to catch up with them. In fact, he says, he says, I was a brawler and I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and I was losing my family. A man pulled a gun to, and put it to his head and he, he then at that point realized that God was preserving his life because he leaned into the gun and said, just pull the trigger. My life has no hope. It has no purpose. The man did not pull the trigger. In fact, he leaves that and then right after that, Shortly, he witnessed a gathering of his own people inside of a city called Manaus at a gathering called Compile, and it was a network of indigenous Christian leaders, and he saw them worshiping in his native tongue the name of Jesus. And he said he looked, he looked at these people, they looked just like his people. They, they had the headbands, and they had the tattoos, and they had the dress, and here they were. They, they had hope, they had purpose, and they were singing praises, and, and at this point, he realized he needed that. So he gives his life to Christ, and he very quickly knew that his calling was to go back to his area where he grew up, his indigenous tribe and his indigenous people called the Satare people, and become a missionary. And so Amazon Outreach began to train and to equip him, and this is where our stories combine. Immediately when we got on the boat, we met Andre and his family, and this was the first time that he was going back to his people group. And so we're on the, the boat with him, and we're going up, and uh, actually we're going down the Amazon River, a two-day trip, and at this point we've been traveling for three days, and this is a really hard place to get to, but we, we pull up to this city, this, this town, if you will, this village, and the name of the village, Andre tells us, is Nova Esperanza, which means new hope. For the very first time, Andre's going back to his home, and he has the gospel message. But we didn't know that we were going to get in. In fact, we had come all this way. We, we pull up to the village, and, and we, we have to get off the boat. But before we do that, the leaders on the boat that are indigenous to that area, they're on our boat now, and they've got to get off first. And they have to go up, and they go to the top of the, the hill, and they meet together, and they're deciding whether or not they're going to let this group come in and, and be a, a ministering element to their, to their village. And so we're, we're hearing this story back on the boat, and we're, we're like, okay, we need to pray. We need to ask God that we get into this village, because if we don't, the whole trip is done. 
right? We go back home. There's no, there's no other village we get to go to because this is all relying on this meeting. And so we pray and then we get the good news. The village had met and the leaders had met and the elders had met and they said, yes, y'all can come in. And so at that point we knew that the next day we're going to be able to go into the village. And so we rise up and we eat our breakfast and we sing our worship songs and we begin to pray again. And then we go into the village. And here's what's really cool is that the people that we had on the boat were all accessible to do things that were just normal things here, but great things there. And so we had nurses, we had doctors, and we set up a triage. We had uh, people who brought glasses, and we were able to do an eyeglass ministry. We had uh, people who were on our, our boat that were going to lead a VBS for the kids. We had uh, guys and girls that were set up to do just conversational evangelism with personal uh, touches and, and learning stories and doing men's and women's ministries. And so we, we go up to the top of the hill, and we see this in front of us, and we're like, we don't know how this is going to go. We just know that we're here. And God began to move. It was incredible. That whole day we began to see just God tangibly move things around to reach this group of people who had never had an outsider like us come in and share this hope. And so we, we go to that night. We don't know that we're going to have a worship service, but we're planning for it. We're like, God, we know that you want to do this. And so we're just going to try to make a way to share the good news once again in a very big way to the whole village. And guess what? The whole village shows up, and we begin to share the gospel, and I share that gospel news with them. And then Andre gets up in front of his home, and he begins to share his story, his testimony. And as he does that, we begin to see people come forward and give their life to Christ. It was amazing. In fact, we ended that night with all of us just circling up and just praying together in unison in every language that we had. We had English, we had Portuguese, and we had the Satare native tongue. And everybody began to just praise God, and we began to just sing hallelujah. So we get back on the boat, and we're like, holy smokes, what just happened? This is incredible. We have three more days of doing this. And so we get back on the boat, and we don't know this. The leaders get together. Once again, and they say this, hey, what we witnessed today was really good. We need more of this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to gather all of our leaders together, and we're going to decide if we want to allow Amazon Outreach to go to the rest of our tribes, and there's lots of them. So they get together, and guess what? They meet, and all of them agree, yes, this is good. We, we, we want this here. We're going to open up Amazon Outreach to have access to all of our villages. It's incredible. Some of these have never, ever, ever had an outsider come to their village. And so we're praising God, and we're just, man, we're thanking Him for what He's doing. And it leads us to the next village, to the next village. Now, and I'll show you the story of the last village. It's called Mount Carmel in our language. We pull up to this one, and there's a leader there, the Deshawa that's there. He's really excited because three months ago, this church got together during Camp Geyer and decided to raise funds to put together a well in an area and a tribe that we did not know. This was that village. It was a Satare village, same people group that we've been ministering to. And as we got there, uh, they were excited to see the faces of the people who made this possible. And so we go into the village, and, and we had a generator with us because uh, they don't have power. And so we're carrying this generator in, and as soon as we set it down, I noticed that there's two guys that run up out of nowhere, and they begin to turn this thing on, and they begin to fill this big blue uh, bucket full of water. 
And I thought, man, that's weird. We're going to be here all day. And, you know, that's, that's theirs. They didn't realize that that also was a gift to them as well. And so they're, they're really just kind of frantically getting as much water as we can. And so you could see the need that was there. So we go through the rest of the day, and we're sharing, and we're doing our, our, our ministry. And we get to the very uh, the point at the end of the night where we're going to have our worship service again. And God moves again. So we have the whole village there, and then we share the gospel. And, and after that, Andre comes up, and he begins to share his story. And we see four guys give their life to Christ. The story doesn't end there. We, we move that whole village over to what we're going to do is the well dedication. And as we get over to this well dedication, it had already, already been just an incredible, impactful day. But we, we share, hey, two months ago, there were kids that, that were at a gathering, just like we had today at a VBS, just like y'all witnessed, kids gathered. And you know what? They gave out of their own pockets to, to show you that they love you by giving you this well, by providing a generator for the power. And we began to share that the story of love, it's not so much that we just wanted to do this for you as a gift, but it's because of Jesus that he's the greatest gift, that it's an overflow of our own well, of our own heart, that we want to say, even though you're far away from us, we see you as a brother and sister in Christ, and we want to love you, and we want to meet a need for you. Well, that story of the gospel now had really taken in because now we're seeing a people group that used to see outsiders as a threat to their community and to their culture now beginning to see that the gospel is for everybody. It doesn't matter what you speak. It doesn't matter the way that you look. It doesn't matter the way that you dress. It doesn't matter where you live. The gospel affects everything. It changes everything. And so we share this story, and here's what really, I mean, this, this is really cool. Right after this, we're celebrating, we turn the water on, everybody's coming up, there's tears just flowing from, from every eye, and we're, we're celebrating. We cut the power off because the Shawa, which is the leader, the, the village leader, he says, I want to I share something with you. He says, because you have been such a gift to us, we have a gift for you. He begins to take his headdress off, and I lean down, and he gives me his own headdress. And he tells me, you know, this, the, the, the headdress is for, for soldiering, for leader, for, uh, for this, this idea of a, uh, of a man of courage. But I got back on the boat and I asked Andre, our, our person that's the church planner now that's there, that's indigenous to the area, I said, hey, I understand what, what the headdress means, but like, what did it mean that he gave it to us? He said, Adam, he said, this is unheard of. This is incredibly unheard of, because what he said was that he no longer saw you as an outsider, but as one of his own. And so that gift that we brought back was a true picture for all of us to understand that, that the gospel, it doesn't matter. Like we are all in Christ, that we are all God's children, and for that simple idea to be just really given over to a people group that we have never met to take root and to see the gospel just begin to change a community and a culture, it so impacted all of us. And when we came back to the boat, we just began to just celebrate. I mean, how do you put that into words? How do we share that story that now a tribe, a culture that was in opposition to the gospel now has received it and now is multiplying it 
in our prayers that as we go forward, and even with Amazon Outreach and with our church planner, Andre, that we would see all tribes, all tongues confess the name of Jesus, that He is Lord, that He is Christ, that He is the Redeemer, that He is the one that loves the children of every nation. Amen? Amen. It truly was. It truly was an impactful trip, and as you leave today, there's actually a table out there. You can see some of the water that we brought back. You can see the headdress that was given to us in our church. And uh, if you see some of the other people that have gone on the trip, man, ask them to share their story. It was an incredible, incredible trip, and God's not done. Why don't you take a minute, <clears throat> take a minute and lead us in prayer with the Soft Ray people especially. Absolutely. Would y'all pray with me today? God, we thank you for this morning as we get to celebrate all that you're doing. And sometimes we don't get to see it because it's across the world. But as I share the story today of what, God, you're doing in a village along the Amazon River, God, I pray that it would help us to be reminded that you've called us on mission, every single one of us, to our own Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so, God, for many of us, our, our mission field is right now that we would think about our parenting experience as a way to disciple, to train up. We think about our community and our workplace as a way to live on mission. But some of us in here, God, we, we know that we're being called and we need to go on mission to our nation and, and then to the ends of the earth. And so, God, I pray right now that we would see guys like Andre who see the gospel and say, this is not just for me, but it's for my community. And they go back to their place of living and they begin to share the good news, the new hope that comes from you, Jesus. That we would be like the Deshawa that recognized that at the foot of the cross, the, the, the ground is so gr uh, level that, that we are all the same and that we are all made by you for a purpose. And so, God, I pray that whatever it is that you're doing, God, that you would continue that work, that great work here at Geyer Springs and then also down the Amazon River. God, we give you the glory for that and the praise for that. We praise you even this morning in our time of worship that you would do that within us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Like Andre, we want to be a people who go back to the place where we live and are faithful to share the message of the gospel. Well, we planted a garden this year, and we actually got some produce from it. That was progress for us. The first two years after we moved where we currently live, our garden produced virtually nothing. We would plant seeds, and we would plant little starter plants, and we'd water and weed them, and they would live through the summer, but they were stunted. They, they never grew. And of course, we never had any, any produce from that, but this year, we did something a little bit different. We spent more time preparing the soil. Uh, we sent a sample to Crawford Extension. We got their report, recognized our soil was terrible, took all their things they said that we needed to add, some of those I'd like to have never found, but we did all that, amended the soil, and we spent way more time preparing the soil than we did planting this year. And that's what made a big difference, that we spent the time preparing. You know, for us as followers of Christ, we have an important message, but we have to prepare the heart to receive the gospel 
if we expect that message of the gospel to, to take root and to bear fruit. And I think all of us, uh, whether we've been willing to do the hard work, all of us want to see our neighbors come to Christ. But if our focus is not on, on loving and blessing them, then they just kind of become a spiritual project to us or a, a task that we have to check off our list, and, and they sense that. You know, I was thinking this week, it's unfortunate that, that many of us have grown up uh, in a culture here in America where neighboring is kind of foreign. You know, 50 years ago, you, you knew the people in your neighborhood, and, and certainly you knew the people that lived on your, your block. If you saw children out playing, you may not remember the name of their parents, but you knew which house they came from. And by the way, that was a horrible thing for me because my neighbors always told on me when I did things I wasn't supposed to be doing. But it really was my sister's fault. I think I told you before, my older sister was quite the sinner, and, and she would tempt me. <laughs> she doesn't watch this broadcast. And, you know, and if your neighbors were out in the yard, you'd walk over and visit. That was just a, a natural thing to do. But it seems like today, even if you're not normally an, an introverted person, you've been taught and you've been conditioned to kind of keep to yourself uh, when you get home and when you get in your neighborhood. Well, if we're going to obey the biblical command to, to love our neighbor, that's going to require a change in, in our understanding and certainly a change in our obedience to what Scripture said. Now, I mentioned last week when we started this series on how to be a blessing, I said that the steps are, are pretty simple, they're very practical, they're not difficult. That doesn't mean, though, that, that neighboring is, is easy. There are a lot of cultural practices that we're going to have to overcome, and, and we're going to have to push ourselves out there. Neighboring, if it's done really well, is going to be messy. You just have to count on that when you begin to develop those relationships. It's going to be messy because if we're really serious about blessing our neighbors, that means we're going to walk through and we're going to do life with them. You may remember last week we rehearsed our mission statement as a church that Geyer Springs exists to glorify God by making disciples who love God and love others. And that comes from the great commission and the great commandment. And our, our Lord has given us clear instruction that we're to bring people to Christ, that we're to make disciples, and that task is a lot more natural in the context of relationship. You know, you, you can just share the gospel with words from a distance and, and without compassion. But when you look in Scripture and you look at the life of Jesus, it's clear he didn't just share words, he was continually pouring himself out and sharing life, because without relationship, evangelism is really not very effective. And when you look at the, the life and pattern of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll find that while he taught large crowds, such as in, uh, or on occasions like the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of his time was spent interacting with individuals. Jesus spent time with people individually. He wasn't just a big gathering, big crowd kind of guy, but he spent time with them individually. He would, he would get to know them. He would find their point of need and, and meet them at that place. And another thing we have to think about is we think about loving people like Jesus did. Jesus spent a lot of time in the pattern of his life. He spent a lot of time with people and blessed people regardless of their response regardless of their response. He didn't write them off if they weren't receptive to the gospel. There were many people that he befriended and many people he blessed that did not choose to follow him. And you know this, you're going to have neighbors who reject the gospel no matter how much you bless them. No matter how hard you try, they're going to remain unresponsive. But making the decision to be a blessing is a long journey. 
It's a long journey of obedience, and it's also a long journey of love. When we choose to love our neighbor, we choose to bless them regardless of how they respond. And so this month, we're looking at, this is our second week, we're looking at the steps to be a blessing, and we have summed up the five steps using the acronym BLESS. You remember last week we covered letter B. Letter B was to begin with prayer. We, we talked about how to pray scripturally. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, on the counters out in the main lobby are some very simple cards that tell you specifically and scripturally, every point has a scripture connected to it, what to pray scripturally for yourself and, and for your neighbor as well. Well, this week we get to the letter L. The letter L, B is begin with prayer. The letter L very simply is the word listen, listen. When you look into, into Jesus' ministry, you find out he wasn't preaching and teaching and talking all the time. He spent a lot of time listening to people. Martin Copenhaver wrote a book called Jesus is the Question. And what Martin did is he went through the gospels and he made note every time a question was asked of Jesus or a question was asked by Jesus. Jesus in the gospels is asked a question 183 times. Now you recognize a lot of those questions was, were asked by scribes and Pharisees. People are trying to trick him in some way or trap him in some way. He was asked 183 questions, but he only answered three. On the other hand, Jesus himself asked 307 questions. Now, why would Jesus need to ask questions? Why would he ask the blind man that came to him, what do you want me to do for you? He knew the man was blind. He knew the man wanted healing. Why did he ask uh, James and John when they, when they approached him for a favor? Why did he ask them what they wanted? He knew what was in their hearts. Why did he ask the legal expert who was asking him about eternal life? Why did he ask him, well, what do you think? How do you think a person inherits eternal life? Why did he tell parables and then ask questions after the parable? Because Jesus was trying to engage people. Jesus wanted to hear what people thought. Jesus wanted to get to listen to their heart. So before we get into the practical points on listening, let me ask you to turn with me to the book of James near the end of your New Testament, once you turn to the book of James, I want us to look at a, just a short scripture for just a moment. You know, I was just thinking about listening this week. I was reminded of, of the first day of fifth grade. In the fall of 1970, I walked into Miss Maurice's classroom, and on the back wall was this huge bulletin board. And it was a fall scene. It was a big oak tree with, with a red and orange and, and yellow leaves, and perched in that oak tree was an owl. And beside the tree where the owl was perched was this saying, a wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the better he heard. Why can't we all be like that bird? It's a great saying, isn't it? I've remembered that since fifth grade. My wife will tell you that although I've remembered it, I don't do very well with it. But I've remembered that saying, and, and what we're going to read here in James chapter 1 and verse 19 is very similar to that. Look what James says in chapter 1 and verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, I don't know about you, but typically I don't think that's how our communication goes. It's more like slow to hear, quick to speak, and, and quick to anger. Doesn't seem like listening has a high value in our culture. Look at what you see around you when you're out and about. You, you go into a restaurant 
and you see people, a couple of people sitting at a table and they're not talking and no one's listening, what are they doing? On their, they're on their devices or on their, their smart home. There's no interaction there. Or you, you go to a meeting, you're in a group setting, and everyone is practically speaking on top of each other, and, and no one's listening. Listening is one of the greatest gifts you can give a person because it values them and it affirms them. Listening to them doesn't mean you have to agree with, with everything they're saying, but that you value them as a person and you affirm them and you understand them whether you agree with them or not. Pe- people don't want to just be heard. There's, there's a big difference in hearing and listening. Can you wives attest to that? Your husbands hear you often, right? They're not always listening. People want to be listened to. And, and listening, I've had to learn the hard way, listening is more than, than simply not interrupting. Listening is more than just not completing the person's sentence for them. It's, it's much, much more than that. It's taking time, and it's, it's giving your, your full attention. It's tuning in your ears and tuning in your heart and making yourself completely available. And that's what you see in the life of Jesus. Jesus took time and he made himself completely available to people that no one else listened to and no one else considered important. He listened to children. He listened to tax collectors. He listened to, to women. He listened to Samaritans. Listening is probably one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have. Let me say that again. Listening is probably one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have. And you, you say, wait a minute. Aren't we, aren't we supposed to share our faith? Aren't we commanded to speak openly and, and to speak often about our faith? Oh, absolutely. But the most effective evangelism is in the context of relationship because we have to prepare the heart and we have to prepare the soil to receive the seed. You know, listening is, is probably one of the most hospitable and most loving acts because there's no greater way for you to open a person's heart to the gospel than than listening. And and the very act of listening to someone can literally change that person's life, can change the trajectory of their lives. This week I was reading the story of of Don Ritchie. Don has become known, he's become nicknamed the Australian Angel. You see, for 50 years, Don has lived across the street from a rock cliff that's the entrance to Sydney Harbor. And that particular rock cliff is famous for its magnificent views. But it's also famous for another reason. A lot of people come to that cliff to jump off and to end their lives. And nearly every week, someone comes to that spot for that very reason. Well, 50 years ago, when Don began living there and knew what was happening at that cliff, Don made the decision that he had to make a difference. In an interview, Don simply said it this way, you can't just sit there and watch them. you got to try and save them. It's pretty simple. Now think about that quote from a spiritual perspective. You can't just sit there and watch them. You've got to try to save them. It's pretty simple. According to official records, Don has saved 160 people, but the people who know him and know the work that he does says his save record is probably closer to 500. Well, what's Don's simple method? This is it. He gets up every morning, and the first thing he does is he goes and looks out the window facing the cliff. 
And then throughout the day, he keeps watching. He keeps looking, looking for someone who is out there alone. And when Don sees someone out there and close to the edge, he runs out of the house and across the street to the cliff to engage them. And that person standing there in those bleak moments trying to decide if they want to go on, listening to the roar of the sound and the waves, that sound is broken by a very small, very quiet voice that says, can I help you with something? And when they turn around to see the source of the voice, they see a very gentle man with a smile on his face, and he invites them into his home for a cup of tea and and a a chat. What's interesting about Don is Don is not a counselor. He is not a pastor. He doesn't try to advise. He doesn't try to pry, but he knows how to listen. He lets the person explain their pain, talk through their pain, talk through their distress, and he, he simply listens very intently to their story. And through the years, some of those people have returned to thank Don for talking them out of their decision. But in reality, Don didn't talk. He just listened. It's amazing when you read that story to think about what a, a cup of tea and a, and a chat and a smile and a listening ear can do to change the course of a person's life. Now, your neighbor may not be at that kind of point of desperation, but we all know from our own experience that Everyone has struggles, and everyone has headaches, and everyone has burdens. I need someone to listen. Now, before we cover some very simple keys on listening, let me, let me point out one other passage to you, Philippians chapter 2. This is a great passage on being a good listener, and while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and tell you that the word listen is nowhere in these verses. But Philippians 2 speaks to the attitude of a good listener. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been in a setting when you were in a, a conversation with someone, you noticed their eyes weren't on you? They were kind of looking around as if they're trying to spot some other people and, and really basically looking like they want to be somewhere else. Maybe in the course of that conversation, you got a few uh-huhs, but they really had no idea what you were saying. That's an example of someone with selfish ambition or conceit. They think they are more significant or more important than others. Or maybe you've been in a setting, in a conversation, where you were speaking about someone, something that was very important to you, and the hearer was clearly waiting impatiently for you to pause or take a breath so he could make his point or refute what you had just said. That's an example of someone who's only looking out for his own interest. Good listener is humble. A, a good listener will consider the thoughts and words of the other person to be vitally important. And a good listener understands that the gift of listening builds up and, and affirms and validates the hearer. Really listening is one of the greatest gifts we can give another human being. 
Really listening is one of the greatest tools we have to prepare a heart to communicate the message of the gospel. So, so how do we do it? Let me give you four simple steps this morning. Number one, good listening requires focus. It, it takes both ears. It takes really being tuned in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in, in writing on uh, the ministry of listening, wrote these words. A listening with a half ear that presumes to already know what the other person has to say is an impatient, inattentive listening that is only waiting for a chance to speak. Listen, I read that with, with great conviction because I recognize I'm, I'm a terrible listener. My mind is going a bunch of other places. I'm, I'm a fix-it person. I'm, I'm in a rush to get ahead and fix the problem. And, and that probably happens worse with my wife and children. It happens worse at home than anywhere else. And I suspect that's true of many of us. Ladies, please don't start throwing elbows, okay? But I, I say that to say probably the best place to learn to become a listener, a good listener, is to start at home. You know, often when we listen, we're too preoccupied with, with ourselves. We, we think we know where the speaker is headed, and so we jump ahead, and we begin to formulate our response before we've even heard the, the rest of the story, the, the whole story. Sometimes when we're listening, there's some internal distractions. We are thinking about something we need to get to or some other commitment we have. We're worried about, about the time. Sometimes there are external distractions that interfere with our ability uh, to listen. Often if I'm in this room and someone is talking to me and I'm trying to listen and there's still a lot of activity in the room as the service is ending, I'll turn my back or I'll make sure I'm close enough to keep totally focused because it's difficult when there are external distractions. I, I know that. But a good listener is going to figure out and, and how they can deal with those distractions because good listening requires total concentration, listen, hearing the person out to the end. Sometimes the most important information comes at the end. And good listening requires that kind of concentration. It requires the energy to block out the distractions. And let me say this, the forethought to silence our cell phones. You ever been in a conversation like this? You're talking with someone? I love technology, but those Apple watches, you ever been talking to someone, they're doing this? Sorry if you've done that to me, I'm not pointing you out, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular except one guy. <laughs> but clearly, you're not looking at the time, that would be rude as well, you're, you're taking care of other things. If we're going to really listen, we have to deal with those external distractions because we're not trying to just hear the words being spoken. We're trying to hear the heart of the person speaking. There's a, uh, a quick little skill we teach in, in premarital counseling classes called active listening. And what active listening requires is when your partner says something, your husband or wife says something to you, when they finish communicating what they're thinking, what they're feeling, then you have to paraphrase it, not parrot it back, you have to paraphrase it back. You have to say, well, what I hear you saying is, what I understand you're feeling to be is, and you have to be able to paraphrase it back. You can't do that if you're trying to think ahead to refute 
or to make your point, if you're jumping to conclusions, you have to really focus, you really have to listen. Second point, very simply, I don't need to comment on this one much, good listening requires patience. You can't just go over and engage a neighbor with the intent of listening and think you're going to be out there in 30 seconds. It requires patience. You have to be prepared. You don't know what may come up. You don't know what opportunity you may have to minister to a hurt that's in that neighbor's life or, or any person's life, someone living in your home. You have to have patience if you're going to be a good listener. Good listening requires asking good questions. Now, that may sound contradictory to me saying you need to listen and not talk, but if you're really listening, if you're really tuned in, if you're being perceptive to what they're saying, it's okay to ask clarifying questions because you're just trying to hear and understand even more what's being communicated. You can't do that if you've not been focused, if you've not been concentrating. Ever had your husband or wife or maybe your kids say something to you and you uh-huh, uh-huh, all the way through it, and then they say, what did I just say? Good listening requires focus and patience and being able to perceive and ask good questions. And finally, I want to say to you this morning, good listening is good ministry. It's enough. It's enough. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have some, some clever solution. Yes, sometimes people need help finding answers, but listening is a greater service than speaking. Consider Don Ritchie. He didn't speak much. He simply listened. Good listening is good ministry. Sometimes the best ministry you can have with someone who's troubled or in distress is just to make good eye contact, lean into the conversation, and hear their pain. You know, a lot of times people just having the opportunity to express what's going on in their lives diffuses their emotions and believe it or not, sometimes the problem is solved just by letting them talk it out. You don't have to have the answers. I'll, I'll admit to you, there have been a few occasions when someone comes by the office for some counsel, and as they begin to tell me what their issue is, in my mind, I'm listening, but in my mind, I'm saying, God help me, give me wisdom, because I don't have any clue what to say. You know what's amazing? They'll finish kind of unpacking what they're going through and, and sharing their pain, and they'll say, hey, thanks so much for your help. I didn't say anything. It's just being able to listen and, and let them unpack that. People aren't always looking for an answer. What they're looking for is affirmation. What they're looking for is, is understanding and compassion. They're looking for someone who cares and for the person who doesn't know Christ. When we demonstrate care for them, what are we doing? We're demonstrating that there is a God who loves and who cares for them. And as we develop relationships with our neighbors, as we become caring people, as we have listening ears, they're going to want to know why we do that. They're going to want to know more about the kind of person we are. And ultimately, they're going to know more about a God who loves them and cares for them. Would you bow with me this morning here in the worship center and the venue as well? Would you just bow for just a moment? I know the messages these weeks are a little bit different. We're not unpacking verse by verse, but we're trying to develop some good habits specifically geared toward blessing our neighbors. Developing a relationship and getting to the point with the people that God has placed around us so that they might come to know a loving God. 
It's not easy. It's messy. It takes a long time. We've got to keep blessing. We've got to keep loving regardless of the response. But I think in many occasions, as we become more compassionate, more loving people, we're going to see people that God has placed around us as our neighbors have an interest. Your neighbor may be someone living physically next door to you in your neighborhood. It may be a coworker, someone you encounter on a regular basis. But would you be praying, if you haven't already, that God would lay on your heart the neighbor or neighbors he really wants you to invest in and to bless? You may be here this morning and you don't even have a relationship with Christ. You've not gotten to that point. You're listening. You've come here out of desire, perhaps, to know more. God is a loving, caring God. He listens well. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, one of our pastors would love to have opportunity just to talk with you about that, to listen to the needs of your heart and your life. I'll be down at the front there are pastors uh, in the lobby that you can easily identify. We just want to help you know a God who loves you, who cares for you, has a plan and a purpose for your life that is fulfilling, who can give you hope and give you peace. The vast majority of us gathered here in, in this room and in the venue and even online have a relationship with Christ. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And as we're just kind of unpacking some simple truths on how to be more effective and how to be better at blessing, we need to let the Spirit of God speak to us, show us where we need to improve and where we need to invest ourselves. So you take just a moment this morning and just ask the Spirit, Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you calling me to do?